Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hello, Joshua. Uh, we're back. I haven't seen you in so long. And I know. we're back here from spring break, from our from our little spring break. <laughs> you know, just a month. Just a month. <laughs> uh, but it's good to see you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It was a great time to be off. Yes. I agree. And we will discuss all of that uh, coming soon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, oh my gosh, we're what we're like in full blown spring now, heading towards summer. Can you mm-hmm. believe it? Mm-hmm. All the, uh, all the rain. Really. <laughs> Everybody's posting photos of themselves at like the blooms. You know, oh, the how, super blooms? Yeah, how everything just like comes to life. Well, that's what happens when you get rain and you're not in a drought. This is true. This is true. So it's nice. It's lovely just to see everybody having a good, good time. Um, Let's see. We're here in May. I'm so excited because you know what that means? What? We're only a few weeks away from The Little Mermaid. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. May 26th. I can't wait. Yeah. I can't wait to see it. Are we going to go together? Are you going to come with me to see The Little Mermaid? Yeah, but I want to go like when it's full of people. Yeah. Well, no. I, actually, no. I think I'm... Uh, I subscribe to the Joshua... Like, I don't want... I want to go opening weekend, but yeah. like a matinee. Yeah. I don't... Less yeah. likely that there are people who will sing. Yeah, I have like mixed feelings. Because, yeah, I really want us to just be the only one singing. Yeah. <laughs> I wish they would drop a soundtrack now. I mean, maybe they will, but we need an early soundtrack so we kind of know the cadence and the uh, phrasing yeah. of the new <laughs> of yes. the new performance. Is it going to be poor unfortunate Right, exactly. <laughs> where where are those changes going to happen, you know? Cuz obviously part of they your world. Yeah. They brought in little um um, Hamilton, Miranda, Lynn, uh, Lynn Manuel Miranda. Miranda to like zhuzh up the. Did you just call him songs. Hamilton Miranda? Yeah. <laughs> I could say in the Heights Miranda, but that didn't yeah. sound like a name, like yeah. Hamilton Miranda. That yeah. sounds Hamilton like a name. Hamilton Miranda. Coming to the stage, everybody. <laughs> Hamilton That's, Miranda. That is a great drag king name. <laughs> and they could do everything like. You know, old timey like that, like but the, like rapping, like the dress of Hamilton, but all, <laughs> but it's very. And it's urban. a drag king, yeah, yes, exactly. I love this. Oh, look at us just making shit up. Did I th- <sighs> we were watching um, Drag Race last month, right? No, two months ago, right? What's no, the illusion? Whatever. Anyway, uh, we were watching Drag Race uh, in April in uh, yeah in May. And in March. In March. Where are we? <laughs> what, what is time? What are we doing? Um, yeah, it's okay. And uh, you said, um, I was like, oh, you know what would be a good name for a drag queen? Miss G. Miss G. Yeah. That's what you said, because you want to... Uh, Put MSG in. Yeah. You know, I'll be Miss G. Yeah, you want to know Ms. where the MSG was in my frittata. Yeah, she brings the flavor. Yeah. It's my new drag name. Miss G. You know, I will say there's a whole uh, myth-busting 
about MSG that you can mm-hmm. read about and like the racism and stuff around like yeah. turning it into like this like evil this evil spice yeah when that's not the case yeah. so maybe go look that up folks like that's your extra credit assignment for the week is to look up MSG yeah to look into the myths around MSG hi everybody my name is Ms. G I'm from San Diego California I'm 34 years old and I bring the spice <laughs> Don't be afraid. Uh, Sprinkle a little bit of me on your tongue. Uh-huh. Who would be your sugar? Oh my gosh, Jesus! Um, Who'd be my sugar? Yeah, what would be the other? You know, I get th- this is too. We oh, I would be the other would be sugar cane. Like you know, ah, bring her back. There we go, Ms. G and sugar cane. I love it. That's a show. Wait, that's like Roxy and Velma right there. You know, you could have a whole show. Sugar cane. <laughs> This is so, so stupid. Um, <laughs> but uh, where, what were we talking about? Oh, we were talking about The Little Mermaid. That's how we got off track. Anyways, mm-hmm. was the Lin-Manuel uh, Miranda. Hamilton Miranda. Yes, yes. Hamilton Miranda. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. but yeah, So I'm very excited about that. Any movies coming out uh, this month that you're excited about? Um no, I have to consult a list of what else is coming out this month. Yeah, because all you're thinking about is the is the Little Mermaid. Yeah, <laughs> that is all I'm thinking about in this moment. As you, yeah, said. I want to get in like full Ursula look. I'm going to take my Ursula dolls with me. I'm just going to sit there and just have a good old party. <laughs> yes, like a tea party, but with your stuffed animals. They're remaking White Men Can't Jump. Sorry, now I'm just looking at. You know, a list of you know what I'm actually excited for that. I want to see if Jack Harlow can act. Is that who's in that? Jack Harlow is playing the Woody Harrelson character, Mm. and um, surprising nobody, I like what Jack Harlow looks like. All right, he looks like Mr. Tumnus. Okay, well, I'll write that down and uh, to skip. We're going to have another book club movie, the next chapter. That's yeah. smart. That's that movie with like, isn't Jane Fonda? Or no, not it's Jane, Jane Fonda. Fonda it's Jane Fonda, Mary Steenburgen, Diane, uh, uh, Candace Bergen. That's right. And yeah. Diane Keaton, I think. Yep, you're right. Because in the first one, they read uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. Yeah, now they're doing another. I didn't I didn't. The next watch chapter it. is a death. <laughs> right. Yeah, one of them is is gonna die. Oh no, Lord! We're recording this in advance. If one of them does die, we need to change this. Right? Yeah. And given that this is the first episode of this uh, section, uh, yeah, that's it's gonna be an emergency. Yeah, it'll be like, hey, so we didn't know. That- <laughs> we didn't know that we were psychic. <laughs> we didn't know that we were psychic. Uh, we didn't know that we uh, willed this into existence. Yeah. Uh, anyways, but I really hope none of them die because I can't. We can't. We it'll throw off our recording. We have to. Yeah, we can't. We have to record an apology. Like it's a whole thing. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> um. Let's see. I am very excited that by the time this airs, we'll be back in Mrs. Maisel will be airing. Mm-hmm. So the the final fifth and final season, is that right? Fifth and final. Yep. Yeah, are you excited about that? I am excited. Um I I'm going to go back and rewatch uh the se- the series. I might skip season 1 <laughs> cuz season 2 is where it really picks up for me. No, yeah, I get that. I understand that. Um season 4 was kind of fine. So I'm curious to see how it'll go. 
Yeah. Well, they were dealing with all the COVID stuff and then just it's like it lays the groundwork for everything to now like finish off. Yeah. I think at least I hope. Yeah. There were some like weird additions like G- Gideon Glick. I love he's the magician. Yeah. 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 Um, but like all of his stuff is really strange and quirky. Yeah. Um, I will say that I, one of the writers on this next season is Isaac Oliver, who I adore. Um, I read his book. I read a book, Joshua. Um, yeah. I read his book, Intimacy Idiot, which is just a collection of essays. I've seen him perform. Is that part of your 2023-12? No, this was uh, years ago. Oh, okay. Years and years ago, I read it. Um, How's that going? How is your 12 books in 2023? Um, I've read one so far. Excellent. Good job. Yeah. We're uh, in the fifth month. <laughs> uh, shout out to a uh, friend of the pod, Dr. Heather Petricelli, and uh, their partner, Ami. Um, they, they were also reading other books or we're planning to read other books by the author who did red white and royal blue because all her other books are queer romance novels right um and so they were like we need to form a book club and i was like oh no (laughs) you don't want me on a book club because i may not read the book or i'll form the book club and then leave and then joshua will come in and yeah you know and then leave and then leave yeah i had to leave the book club but that's okay i may rejoin in the future but right now i'm just too busy well yeah i mean you had yeah. to do it for you had to do it because you know yeah i've been in it for a year i mean i read 12 books with them yeah so it was fun for sure ish yeah. i guess but uh no, yeah it must have not been 12 because we mm-hmm. there was a couple months where we had two month break mm-hmm. <clears throat> but uh, I'm glad you brought that up because as we, you know, we just want everybody to know that uh, Zakza Heather Petricelli, you know, Queer for Fear on Instagram has published a book uh, or will be publishing a book. It's out for pre-order now. It comes out, what is it again, September? In September, I believe. Yes. Uh, very, very excited. It's a book I, you know, uh, wish I had written. Uh, it's called uh, Queer for Fear, Horror Film and the Queer Spectator. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, we need to get you all, um, everybody to pre-order that and, uh, and, and read it. Um, hold on. I was looking for the press release for it because, um, it's very, very exciting. Uh, so yes, this book is the groundbreaking empirical study of the LGBTQ plus community that not only documents the opinions, habits, and tastes of the horror-loving queer spectator, but also evidence how and why queers have a distinctive relationship to the horror genre. Um, yeah, I, I cannot wait to read this. It's going to be so, I just, yeah, after like having known her now for a few years and been familiar with her work and all the different things that she's done. And obviously you, you've been interviewed, you were part of this Mm -hmm. study, uh, that the book Fright School is mentioned by name in the study, which I love. Love that so much. Um, Yeah, we need that. Um, (laughs) We need all the publicity we can get. Uh, So, yeah, I'm just like super, super uh, thrilled for her to finally publish. I think we need to invite Heather and Ami to come down to the West Craven Memorial Library for a book signing and reading. Oh, right. Yeah. Can you imagine? Just do it here in the living room. (laughs) Yeah, just right here and... Uh, should we do like a whole thing on Instagram where we just like we you'll like slot it into a spot right. and then it'll just stay there? Yeah, it'll live right here on this shelf. Yeah. Yeah. Next to projected fears and horror noir. Yeah. All the other. It came from the closet. Yeah. Actually, it came from the closet. Uh, what else is over there? Um, Monster show. Uh, well, no, Men, there's women and monsters clothes. in the closet. I was trying to think of the queer books that I have oh, over there because okay. I have a few queer horror um analyses of of film but uh 
Yeah. This one looks like it's actually from a library. Did you like mop this from a library? <laughs> no, that's yeah, queer cinema, oh, the okay. critical what's it called? A critical review or something. The critical reader? Yeah. It's got the Dewey Decimal yeah, it was. It. Yeah, I bought it in a um, like a library sale kind of thing. You know, okay. it was used, so oh, it was like okay. a library toss. That's, that's a great alibi. Yeah, I don't know. That's how I got it. I have a few books like that, especially with like like texts. You know, textbooks mm-hmm. and such. Um, yes. Which I will say, her book does carry a textbook price, uh, but. Um, I but think you should be support. Well, it, I think it'll be well worth it. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure that they may, hopefully it does really well and is republished and, you know, we'll uh, just storm the whole world. Yeah. So. I bought two. Yes, you did buy two. I only bought one. Yeah. But well, I, well I'm donating. <laughs> I'm one. going to read it. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm it. contributing. I was in it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm uh, planning on donating. Um, the second copy to uh, the Lambda Archives here in San Diego, which is a uh, an archive of queer history from you know folks who have lived in the city, yeah, and the county, yeah, um, yeah. I remember when I first moved here, I because it hasn't been around that long, right? Um, I'm not going to embarrass myself. Okay. <laughs> so I mean, maybe it. it has been, but I thought they were kind of, at least when I was here, they were really working in an effort to build it up. Yes. Uh, and and they, so it's, it's only it's, been fairly recently in the last yeah. maybe 15 years or so that yeah. it actually has a physical space. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So when I first moved here, I remember it being a thing that they were building this uh, space and, and collecting works and things to add to it. So uh, yeah, I think that'd be a great uh, contribution. So um, you know, congrats, Heather. We adore you so much. Uh, follow Queer for Fear on Instagram, uh, and and yeah, find a copy of the book. I'm sure there'll be a link somewhere. <laughs> Either you can find it on our page or in the comments uh, or the uh, show notes of this episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm probably once I read it, it's probably going to get added to our <laughs> our list of textbooks because I feel like uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to be very very inspiring. Mm-hmm. I wish I could. I wish I had it right now. Um. yeah I'm super excited for her so congrats again and uh, I think with that we'll take a quick break and we'll be back to discuss Burning from 2018 I just want to apologize I'm sorry to everyone I was very naive and very stupid and I shouldn't have put other people in danger. I am so sorry for everything that has happened because in spite of what Joshua says, it's now all my fault. I insisted our listeners subscribe to Fright School on Apple Podcasts. I insisted they leave us reviews. I insisted that they give us a five-star rating. And it's all because of me that we're here now and we're being hunted. I love you, Mom and Dad. I am so sorry. I only wanted to make good content for our listeners. I'm so scared. I'm going to die out here. Joshua, is that you? 
Welcome back. So, Anogasayo. There, exactly. Yes. Uh, oh my god, I don't. That's old Korean that I remember from when I like lived on Guam and had Korean classmates. So please don't. Please be gentle if you correct me. <laughs> But that's just what, how I remember how to say hello. Well, that's level you tried. So you know, I think that's that's appreciated. Uh, yeah. So we are back kicking off our our May episodes mm -hmm. with Burning from 2018. Now, uh, I'm actually going to pause here and turn the reins over because this month is a another exciting Joe takeover project. So he's picked all the films for this yeah. month and he has some kind of loose plan to discuss them. And I'm I'm super excited about it. So, uh, Joe, you are now in the driver's seat, and I'm just going to stare blankly at you for the next half hour. In the words of Tabitha, <laughs> in the words of Tabitha Coffee from uh, Bravo TV and Fame, yes, uh, Bravo, Bravo TV, TV Fame, <laughs> uh, and and taking over Tabitha's takeover. It's like hand me the keys. I'm taking over. <laughs> oh my god! I think that was actually worse than the Korean. <laughs> Uh, okay, sorry. That's yeah, enough. everybody. So uh, it's another Joe takes over fright school uh, thing because Joshua wants to find new and inventive ways to make my life horrific. Um, so you know, he made me plan this, and the concept and thinking about the concept for uh, this month of takeover uh, May in the United States is uh, Asian Pacific Islander American Heritage Month. And what better way to celebrate that than to have your resident Pacific Islander person uh, show talk about scary movies? And so I have chosen uh, five movies that speak specifically to the Asian American and Pacific Islander identity, and we're going to be just talking about it. Um, unlike Joshua, who you know likes to rewatch films back to back or within close succession in order to be fully prepared for this podcast. Um, we watched these things together for the first time. This is true. Um, so this week and subsequent weeks, we're going to be talking about uh, films that categorize that. And I want us to explain a little bit of the methodology first before we get into burning. Oh, oh she's getting into her abstract, her methodology. <laughs> yeah, come on. She's a methodology Where's queen. your research, uh, your research methods and your statistics? I need to see it all. No. <laughs> so Joshua had uh, one of Joshua's uh, very specific and direct requirements was to have films that were before 1980. What is the I always try to, to whenever we form units for the show to have a broad range of mm -hmm. it doesn't always work because sometimes you know things just happen that you know sure. but when i whenever i build a unit so to speak mm -hmm. i really try to have a broad you know like at least a 50 year you know mm -hmm. span so that we can really analyze how something may change or shift okay. or give our listeners things to think about no in horror that have changed over over mm -hmm. time you know seeing the same story in the 50s the 60s 70s 80s 90s now you know says something about yeah. how we've evolved in these specific types of fear 
Yes. Great. <laughs> I, that's I love I love that for you. However, however, comma, um, that uh, in kind of what I w- when I was looking for films and doing research and you know googling and by doing research in the truest internet sense of the form, which is like doing lots of googling, um, I was looking for films that spoke specifically to an Asian American uh, Asian American identity or story. And um, Pacific Islander, I gave a little bit more grace to in terms of being like uniquely Pacific Islander, either from a Pacific Island culture or maybe not necessarily how it interacts with American culture. But for at least the Asian American part, I wanted to try to find something that spoke to that, to spoke to children of Im- uh, uh, children of immigrants or an immigrant experience, to speaking about diaspora and so on. And so I feel like. Because of that, um, all of the films and one TV show that I found, one season of a TV show that I found, were all things that were made within not only the la- not only in this century, but in the last 15 years, 10, 15 years. And so I think that speaks volumes, one, uh, speaks volumes about what's available online and, you know, researchable. Two, it also speaks a little bit more about how as... Uh, different creators and makers are um, are moving through the film industry. Uh, these concepts of representation are getting better, right? So you have like so today we're talking about Burning, uh, which is a Korean Japanese film. Uh, actually, the language is primarily in Korean. Um, it was written and directed by Lee Chang Dong, um, and it is based on the short story Barn Burning by Haruyuki Murakami, also inspired by William Faulkner's story of the same name. It stars Yu An Lee, Stephen Yun, and Jeon Jong Seo, uh, who played the different characters. Uh, our three, our core three. Our, yes, the core three. Um, <laughs> and this, I wanted to start this uh, particular unit with this film because it doesn't really discuss, it doesn't take place in America. Right. <laughs> it takes place, you know, specifically in Korea, but it does speak to some things about Western influence mm. as well as inequality in class. And I wanted to kind of start off that off as the basis before we move through to the other films. Um, so as we usually do on Fright School, we're going to start with my opinion. No, <laughs> flip the script. So as we usually do on Fright School, we're going to, uh, Joshua and I both have never seen this film. We watched it at the same time and, uh, we're going to start off with, uh, Joshua's opinions. Joshua, what did you think of the film? First thoughts? Well, I think the only reason we watch this movie is because you think Steven Yun is hot. Um, and I'm pretty sure that <laughs> that was the number one. <laughs> uh, not wrong. Because uh, we said, because it's two, it's about two and a half hours long. Um, it's which one is, of the longest films we've which watched. Which is an hour and a half too much. <laughs> no. Um, it's an hour too much. Yeah. I, I say, yeah, they could, they could be trimmed down. But again, reminding ourselves that we are not necessarily a review podcast. But I think that it could have made for a more, like, it's just one of those films that maybe if it had been edited a little bit tighter, mm-hmm. it would have just driven it a little better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought overall it was beautiful. I, I, I do struggle much like 
you struggled with The Abyss being a horror film. I really struggled with The Burning being a horror film until like the last 10 minutes of it. And then I'm like, ah, here's the horror we have been missing outside of the uh, existential, existential horror, dread and horror <laughs> yeah. of like being poor in, you know, um, in any, you know, metropolitan city in the world, um, sure. or at least being working class. And um, this uh, struggle between, you know, having in, in the film talking about little hunger versus great hunger and mm-hmm. sort of those struggles of, you know, we talk a lot about this when we need to be careful about uh, having conversations of like uh, armchair academic politicians and such, mm-hmm. you know, because it's like it's really easy when you have privilege to like sit around and think about, you know, the world we live in versus just trying to survive. And, you know, the left, you know, well, really any political outfit uh, has to be considerate of those sorts of things. So you're, you know, watching this film and like thinking about the lives that we lead for survival versus, you know, who gets to have luxury or who gets to have the space to search for the meaning of life. Like not all of us have that capacity and yeah. that ability um, purely because we don't have the the resources uh, mm-hmm. to do it. So I thought overall it was a very beautiful film. I, I did enjoy watching it again. Yes. There, there were parts that really kind of were long and like artsy, you know, would you watch it again? I would absolutely watch this again. Okay. Uh, certainly. Um, and I actually would like to watch it again. Cause I think there's a lot to think about in it. And there was lots of stuff that's like, what, what, what just happened? Just these kind of interesting moments, which I, you know, I'm used to, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure in some of the other films, um, you know, watching like growing up and, and kind of watching that first huge wave of, um, or not first, because I'd say Godzilla is probably one of the first big like Japanese waves in, in American culture Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and those sorts of films that came out. Um, but that, early 2000s like Japanese horror film and not even just the remakes but mm-hmm. the films the the you know importing um you know the original like Juan the Grudge and mm-hmm. and, the, and Ringu and like getting all of these and Ichi you know all of these like um Ichi the Killer yeah all of these uh Japanese films that I would watch there were like moments in this that kind of remind me of that where it would just show like some imagery or something that's like I'm sure this has a lot of cultural meaning that I am missing Mm-hmm. And I love that kind of stuff. So I'm looking forward to like researching more about this and maybe understanding uh, some of the other parts of it. But yeah, overall, I really sure. enjoyed it. So awesome. <clears throat> Great. So the film comes out in uh, 2018. It comes out in May 2018 at Cannes. And then um, later, I believe in May or later that summer in Korea. And then it was it gets released in January or February of 19 in Japan. Um interesting things about this film right is that like the um uh it's interesting in the sense that like it's based off of a short story that was also based off of another short story yeah uh and, which i'm like great and so there's a and because that short story's writer is japanese and is a very well-known japanese writer there's a lot of that influence as well um that particular writer um i said their name and now i completely forgot it uh that particular uh, Har- Haruyuki uh, Murakami, yeah, um, Haruki Murakami, yeah. talks a lot about like the um, 
like once the when a person loses their love or their in their person who they're interested in, it, that loss becomes all consuming. And so I think we see that definitely in this. Yeah. Uh, but a little bit of a synopsis. So we have. Um, Although I struggle with love. I, I'm sorry. I love that you sent me this article that I've had open already. Oh, love <laughs> it. Because I was reading. I was like, oh, yeah, that's I love that. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Awesome. Uh, but yeah, I struggle with whether love has anything to do with this movie. But we'll talk more about that. Yes. Go ahead. So the plot synopsis is a young delivery man. Um, but I, they say young delivery man, but essentially he's just unemployed. Right. Yeah, it doesn't seem. Yeah, it seems like it's almost like a like a gig kind of work where it's like you show up and like if you can if you can do it then you, you can deliver. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And he jumps around throughout the film looking for other work. Yeah. So yeah. It's... So Jung Su, who uh, who is played by um, uh, who is played by Yu on Yu on In, um, runs into his childhood friend Hei Mi or Hami, uh, and then. Through a series of events, when she goes, she travels, she goes to Africa. Um, to find herself. To find herself, <laughs> which, like, is a very white Western thing to do. Uh, ends up getting, like, stuck at an airport because there was a bombing in Nairobi. And ends up meeting uh, another the another Korean person uh, named Ben, played by the uh, brilliant and enigmatic... Um, uh, Stephen Yun and uh, Ben may not be a good guy, and so Jung Soo becomes suspicious and begins to believe that Hami is in danger, which is all very interesting. Um, it takes two and a half hours to realize <laughs> anything that is coming up, right. and the beauty of one of the things I do enjoy about this, and that's like simultaneously frustrating and very, um, uh, very poignant, is the fact that like there are no real answers in the film. Um, this is not something that you're kind of you're you're looking for. Um, it reminded me a lot of Rift and how like yeah. atmospheric Rift was and very slow burny. Um, it didn't have. Uh, it didn't have the elements of rift that like squarely put it in like this gothic horror space, uh, but it has a lot of the existentially angst type things. Um, and so a couple things, one, one article that we're going to make sure to link in the show notes, because it's an article that is pretty much uh, after reading it, I can entirely see why this is a horror. This falls thus does fall into horror is an Atlantic article uh, from November 2018 entitled How Burning Captures the Toll of Extreme Inequality in South Korea, written by Irene Chu and uh, Suji Lee. And the article goes on to kind of really, you know, analyze the various levels of the film. One of the ways that they do it, and we'll talk about it, is the idea of the... Um, the various depictions of, like, where they are in Korea. Mm-hmm. So... Um, Jungsu lives in um, a town in like rural Korea, right by the demilitarized zone. Can hear the uh, North Korean propaganda. the North Korean propaganda messages. Yeah. Um, the town is also like undergoing like it's it's falling. It's it, they're making it seem as if it's falling apart. There's like an encroaching threat of like urbanization. Yeah, um, he seems to be the only person for miles before he reaches like other farmers that are in the area. And um, 
navigating that, but then also like going back and forth into the city. So like traveling from basically like where the the North Korean border, like the border with North Korea, the militarized zone is, and then like going to feed like Hamie's cat, which we don't really ever see her cat. Not in her apartment, but I do think the cat at the end, but that's yeah. a whole, that's the thing. That's a whole thing. Like, <laughs> that's is the it, question. Yeah. Is it really? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, seeing that and like meeting her out and about when he's in um, Korea or when he's in a Seoul um, and then like kind of falling in getting back and infatuated with her and which is interesting because like when they're having dinner, right? When they're having dinner, in the beginning um, when they're at the bar. Yeah, when they're having dinner in the bar, it's just like she's giving so much manic pixie dream girl. Mm-hmm. Which I'm like, oh, what is what is going on here? What right. is what is happening? Um, and then eventually like kind of using him to like, hey, can you go feed my cat? I need to go to Africa. Yeah. Because I want to talk about like the big hunger and the the little hunger. And Joshua, can you talk a little bit about the hungers? Um, um well, I mean, that's what I um uh was kind of talking about earlier where it's like the little hungers, like, you know, this idea of, uh, of just what we need to survive, mm-hmm. you know, or like material things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, uh, cause it kind of talks about like feeding the little hungers in different ways mm-hmm. by buying things or, uh, you know, just being able to have stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, like just, the basic tenets of surviving whereas versus uh the great hunger for like hey me you know she's trying to find like the purpose of life and the meaning of life and mm-hmm. um yeah i mean that's how i kind of understood it and the film is sort of grappling with those sorts of ideas sure. throughout um yeah <laughs> yeah and so like that's it, it you know it's that exposition where it's just like we're that's one of the themes of this when you're thinking about economic inequality right so you have um you have this young man who has who's a gig worker struggling basically unemployed you have his friend Hamey who is also um a gig worker as well but like it still has money to travel and to want to do all of these things and this kind of again manic pixie dream girl way of just like you know i'm gonna go to africa because i want to know what it's like to mm-hmm. do this and there's a great scene where they're with ben's friends and she's talking about like you know the the ritual of um the dancing ritual right. and all of these things and then you have like so in, on Ben, right? I was going to say though, real quick to interrupt. I there was uh, a note I saw in one of the articles I was reading that the um, the short story she's like inherited money. Mm-hmm. But another thing to keep in consideration is that South Korea and Africa have really good political and economic relationships. Ooh, that um, I didn't so know. yeah, so I'm curious. It, you know, there might be programs or things for students to, you know, or young people to like go back and forth. Uh, but again, that's the thing about this movie, um, this film, like that we can get to, I guess, in a bit is like Hamy. It's like she is. We don't really know because she doesn't comment on whether she has financial problems. She doesn't comment on that her life's a mess. She doesn't co- like she's very free spirited. It's like the men around her defining her, you mm-hmm. know, um, 
both, both of the guys who are kind of, they keep talking about her and then they're like fighting over her like she's a possession. You know, she's a, she's feeding their little hungers, these little fights and masculinity kind of bullshit when she just kind of wants to be free of that and wants to like travel the world and like find herself. So we don't really get a good answer if whether or not she's actually in the debt that, and then there's the other woman who's like, Mm -hmm. you know, women have no country and women... You know, we have to be, you know, made up, but not made up. We have to be dressy, but not too dressy. We have, to, you know, all of that, all of the conversation. But in the meantime, she's also saying, yeah, this girl's probably in a lot of debt and she probably just vanished to escape it all. Mm-hmm. And like, so who cares? You know, so it's like she's kind of defined by the other people and we don't really ever get a sense. But again, I don't think that's the point. Sure. You know, in, in to some degree. I just want to toss that out there. because Which like, is a similar... Um, a similar circumstance in Parasite, the 2020 Oscar winner. Mm. Um, the There's a vanishing that in, in, in an effort to escape debt. And Parasite itself is also an entire like huge commentary on class in um, a, a class in urbanized South Korea as well, too. Which is interesting, right? Because like you have like communist North Korea, which like you know emphasizes and sort of egalitarianism but it's really like very authoritarianism and fascism and then you have free south korea but like free for whom and to what extent you're talking about um the the political and economic relationship between uh, korea and and um countries in africa and that totally makes sense because um countries in africa you know mine a lot of the mineral a lot of those minerals are used to make electronics and cell phones and everything which you know is uh there's a great big need for that kind of manufacturing in uh, in asia the information i saw was definitely kind of focused most on africa and south korea mm-hmm. so the korean government expanding uh, investments and support for africa african union launched a free trade zone mm-hmm. um, with the goal of achieving um you know this single market for of 1.3 billion africans um south korea's allocated funds to foreign aid uh through packs with Kenya. So there's a lot, uh, there's just a lot of relationship there that I'm, I'm curious if we're, we may be missing some of that. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, we can certainly discuss and, and acknowledge, you know, any sort of body that goes in and uses Africa for some sort of mysticism or, you know, experience. We can certainly be critical of that, but I do wonder if we might be missing something, uh, culturally that may be at play between Africa and South Korea. That's not exactly the same in the U S um, or the same kind of, um, but I don't know because it could absolutely be exactly the same. So I'm just saying that I don't yeah. really know. I mean, we wouldn't be good students of Dr. Tally, right? If we didn't like call that out for what it is, <laughs> yeah. like these people using Africa yeah. for, you know, to see it was, it was also like the, you know, what is it? <laughs> what is it that TJ says, you know, um, hurry boy, it's waiting there for you. Right. Toto's Africa. It's a place that is for you, but right. also not for, it's a place that is for you, for the world because of its mystic, mystic properties. Right. Um, but anyway, so yeah. back to, um, you started to make another point, which I, I don't know if you'll remember now, but that's okay. I don't remember now. There's so, so many, <laughs> there's so many yeah. things to talk about. Yeah. Um, and so then you have Ben, who is this um, Gatsby figure to uh, Jotsu's point. Um, 
where he you know is wealthy but we don't know from what we don't know right. of what uh he is wealthy um he's also just like very um very directly but still very politely kind of like you wouldn't understand what it is that i do yeah right it's just like uh if i put it into one word i could say play um you know what i do is i play and i'm just like okay this is an interesting commentary especially because like when you get to when you have a certain level of wealth right your entire life becomes leisure um there's always that like uh the the kind of bootstrap uh fetishist uh way that we think about people who are self-made in their millions or billions when in actuality like you know a lot of that is just off of the backs of other people and ultimately when you look at them you think about their lives and this form of leisure but ben has seemed as very directly stated to our to Hami and to chinsu that they um that his life is explicitly about playing about leisure yeah and something that they couldn't understand yeah yeah and again whether or not that's like he's saying they don't have the capacity to or because of the way their lives are so different that they Mm -hmm. just couldn't understand and again that's why it's like i was thinking as as the movie was going on it's like i wonder if he's like because there were other girls like he Mm -hmm. would kind of meet you know once especially once Hami like disappeared it's like oh he's meeting another girl you know he's meeting another girl you know there are all these other like young girls like her hanging around him as I was wondering if he was like a male prostitute no I was thinking that he was selling them like that there was some sort of um, like sex trafficking kind of thing that was going on which is a different kind of play yeah yeah exactly so when he was saying stuff like that it was kind of like that I was wondering if it was going in that kind of sinister mm-hmm. place, mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially because obviously, you know, the um, Amy is like, you know, very beautiful young woman, although she talks about she had plastic surgery and all of that, which again is not uncommon um, for people to ch- want to change things about themselves and to do it that way. Um, you know, but I just kept wondering if that was going to be like the big reveal or something is yeah. that he like, sold her off and you know like just showing up in the porsche and being like the you know flashy boyfriend like that's a major um because i've taken a few sex trafficking um um trainings and i was part of a group that worked on uh trying to find ways for uh the former hospital i worked at to recognize signs of human trafficking uh in in the er and in the clinics and that's always like a big warning. It's like, you know, you have some guy who's like hanging out in like, you know, lower socioeconomic spaces, flashing money, flashing car, you know, being like your boyfriend and then you vanish and he vanishes too, you know? So it's like a big, that was just kind of setting off warning signs for me. Cause I was like, what is going on? Like, and then when he wanted to be evasive about it and that they wouldn't understand I was like, oh, maybe that's what he's doing because that would make sense yeah. to be like, you couldn't understand like my motivations. And then his stuff about kind of his sociopathy of like, mm-hmm. I never cry. And just some of that was really strange. And then of course the actual reveal of his particular proclivities yes. <laughs> just um, adds to that. So what Joshua was talking about his particular proclivities is that they um there's a scene in the middle of the film where they're um Hamey basically invites is with ben and invites them invites themselves over to um 
Jutsu's house uh, in the countryside uh, because you know why not? She wants to see where she she wants to see where her house used to be because it's been bulldozed and you know where they where she used to live and she hasn't been back in a while. So they're there. They're sitting on this like dusty porch and listening to North Korean propaganda, drinking wine and having food. Um, Hami takes her clothes off, which is, you know, quickly chastised by Jutsu. Wow. And that's the other thing, like you said, like it's giving also like Doll's House by um, Ibsen, where, you know, they're the. Uh, the men are just constantly like trying to control yeah. this woman and you know presumably like this woman also has a lot of freedom like you know she can travel she has the ability to travel because she wants to um in fact that's where you know ben met her she's like doing this kind of gig work but also you know it's that's the gender stuff of it is really interesting yeah it's just weird because like even when he offered like when it's like oh who you know who do you want to take you home it's more addressed between the two men and not really to her yeah you know because she she doesn't have a car yeah so it's like it's really it's between us but then again throughout the film it's just like she's constantly defined by them rather than yeah it's certainly it doesn't feel very uh feminist obviously (laughs) so they smoke a little weed which is very very much like banned and yes huge crime very legal in in south korea huge crime and of course it's the rich fuck right who's like i don't give a shit like yeah 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 he speeds around he does all kinds of things in the film that you know show that he has a lot more privilege than um jen i keep saying jensu jensu um Jung-soo. Jung-soo, you know, whose father's like, you know, already in trouble with for um, assaulting a police officer or some mm-hmm. public, public figure, official, yeah. public official. Uh, so he's in jail. You know, they're poor, rural, like, far, you know, cow farmers, although they only have one cow now. Um, and he's like, so th- again, that just shows the divide. That's another way that the mm-hmm. film demonstrates that the rich can do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah, and the in the article, the Atlantic article that we're referencing, we're pulling a lot of this from, the Americanization of Ben's name versus their names as right. well, yeah. which is really, you know, interesting. And he kind of leads this very Westernized life. He lives in the, mm-hmm. like he lives in the like richest neighborhood in Seoul and, you know, his friends and all that stuff. So, but anyway, they're smoking pot and, you know, uh, Jaime passes out. The two men are there and they start, you know, <laughs> they start unloading their trauma or well, uh, Jung-soo starts unloading his trauma and it's just like, you know, my mom left, my dad was a bastard, I he made me burn all of her clothes. And then speaking of burning, uh, Ben says, you know, basically I'm an arsonist. Uh yeah. I will I'll go out there and I'll just like find a greenhouse and I'll burn it to the ground. Um I find an abandoned greenhouse. They're just all over, you know, they're all over Korea. They're all over the countryside, abandoned, not doing anything. The police don't care. And it's just, you know, I just go out and do that. And it's a really strange interaction because it's just, like you said, the sociopathy of it all. The um, And for whatever reason, and I still, like, I'm still a little fuzzy on this, but, like, Jung-Soo does kind of... Ha- like hold on to that and latches onto that a little bit, whether it's because he is uh, still trying to suss out the mo- the true motivations and really try to figure out who um, Ben is. He like, then, you know, there's several minutes of scenes where he's just like zooming through in his like truck, the like 
countryside looking for a burned down greenhouses. Yeah, looking for evidence of yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he definitely, um, again, we don't really know. There's not enough information to really get at what is really going on with Ben. He makes a lot of statements that kind of, you know, lend me to thinking about, you know, he's has some sort of, um, um, definitely pyromania. Probably he could probably get a diagnosis of that. Although we don't really get the reason, like, is he like getting off on it? Like sexually, or is there some other, you know, reason for setting, um, for setting the fires. Um, I was trying to find, there's another, there's another term, not antisocial, um, that I like to use. Um, Perisocial? Perisocial. Uh, yeah, it's, it, he's so like mysterious, but he's also so hot. <laughs> Um, it's it's like really really hot to watch Stephen Yun in this social. Oh, okay. that's what I was looking for. Dissocial. What and can you? But again, a it's just kind of that? it's another form of like antisocial, like so like lacking empathy. Um, it's like yeah, just burning or using people, you know, just all those things that would kind of fall under antisocial. But mm-hmm. again, I'd want to ask him a lot more questions sure. uh, to get at that. Uh, but his yeah, his comments definitely about like just never crying and you know, sort of being really dismissive of like the lived experiences of other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, yeah, burning down, burning destruction of property. That's a big like sign of like dissocial behavior, sure. uh, especially if you're doing it just to, to, to because, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So yeah, that whole situation is very interesting. Um, but again, it's like, yeah, that's why it gives the, the title so many different meanings. Cause you have like the, you know, emotional burning of like, desire to be beyond be out of the circumstances sure. you're in uh, the in, literal burning <laughs> in hung like the hunger right yeah. so like hung, mm-hmm. how hunger has two meanings where yeah the little hunger is like material uh, physical hunger and the big great yeah. hunger is like the what yeah. is my life yeah this could have been called hunger yeah. yeah i mean it could have been either you know but i get the burning makes kind of sense but again he also finds no evidence that he burned down a greenhouse which also like leads me to think like maybe he's not really talking about greenhouses no you know maybe he does mean because at the you know towards the end of the film yeah towards the end of the film uh <laughs> so jaime jaime goes disappears yeah um, which vanishes like smoke. Yeah. He says, uh, mm-hmm. Ben says, which, Oh, that's a good pull. Yeah. That's why I was like, yeah. wait, did he like kill her and set her on fire or set her on fire and mm-hmm. watch her burn? Like, is that what's going on? Yeah. Cause he makes that comment and it's just so creepy after they have a whole conversation about him not being able to find any burned down greenhouses. And he's like, well, I did. It's really close to your house. And maybe it's too close for you to even see. And it was like, what? What the hell are you talking about? Like, if a greenhouse is burning in my backyard, I'm going to see it. Like, the the whole conversation made me think, like, he was, like, really talking about her. Like, he took, like, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I have no doubt that he burned greenhouses, too. But maybe he sticks people in them and then burns them. I don't know. But anyways, Hamey has disappeared. Yeah. Like a puff of smoke or whatever he says. Uh, Something like a, about smoke. Yeah. Hamie's is fear like a puff of smoke gone into thin air, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, well, not all of a sudden, but like over time, you get like 
Jung Soo like unraveling, like following Ben in like in this very conspicuous truck. <laughs> yeah, it cracks me up. It's yeah. like how can Ben t- miss that he's like being followed everywhere by yeah. this truck? Which also could be part of the cat and mouse game, right? Like he totally very much know it has that, that vibe. There's that weird scene where like he's like the, he's like following him in like the urban setting that eventually leads to like the dirt, like a twisty turny dirt road and then like gets out and he's like behind his Porsche looking at a lake, but like they don't, they never acknowledge each other or presumably like Ben has no idea that he's there and he's just like there thinking at the lake, just going to think. Um, but, uh, Hey, Jung Soo is convinced that like Ben has had something to do with it, goes to Hamie's house, finds that like the apartment is clean and completely not how she left it. The cat is not there. Right. Even though we've never seen the cat, like the evidence of the cat is not there anymore. Yeah. I think there's a sequence early in the film where there is a litter box. Yeah. Um, so that's gone. He's cause he smells the apartment. So he's like, wait, there's nothing Mm -hmm. here. What is going on? Yeah. And so he goes, he tries to, he ends up like confronting Ben. Um, Ben finds him in the, in his truck, like outside of his house. It's like, Hey, do you let's, let's go upstairs where I have friends coming over. We're having a party. Um, there's a cat there. Yeah. And the cat gets out, responds to the name, which like, I don't, okay. I call your cats. They don't respond to me. Mm-hmm. You call your cats. Do they really respond to their names? Is this a thing? Cause dogs, I know for sure, but dogs are idiots. So <laughs> as a cat person, is this plausible? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think they respond. They at least respond to a syllable or two, I think is what science, like evidence suggests. Um, But I feel like they, you know, again, and who knows, it could be because we tend to talk to them in a certain voice or certain Mm -hmm. cadence. They go, Lily. Yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, But sometimes, you know, even just like, I feel like if I'm like, you know, if I say Hemlock, like, you know, he'll like turn, you know. So I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to really know if they're just looking at you because you're making noise at them, yeah. You know, or in their general vicinity, or if they do, you know, come when called. Sure. Um, but they, I mean, I can say if they're like down the hall and I'm like, hey, Hemlock, come here. You know, he'll come. So okay. you know, at certain times, not all the time, because sometimes they're like, fuck you. You come here. Yeah. So that's a suspicious thing that happens. Yeah, but the cat's also the same name, the yeah. boil. Cat's also the same name because boil for a cat, which is really funny. Um, and also when uh, Jung Soo is in Ben's bathroom, goes like snooping through his drawers and finds in the earlier in the first time he was there, he found a drawer filled with like women's jewelry. And then he opens it again and finds the pink, a pink watch that, yeah he gave uh Hamie in the beginning of the uh in the beginning of the film yeah it feels very much like a trophy drawer yeah uh you know which like i thought which like to me goes serial killer but it just kind of makes a little bit more sense that he might be a trafficker right i think serial killer too possibly either way i mean especially if it's like the burning thing you know just that whole conversation is super creepy there's just a lot of mm-hmm creep factor overall in this in this film um and again this is why i want to watch it again because like i i feel like i probably missed i probably missed even more references Mm -hmm. but just the 
you know, just those references to playing as work. Uh, it just seemed gross and creepy uh, as the film went on, recontextualizing. And then the, um, yeah, talking about burning down the greenhouses and enjoying that. And, you know, it just was, yeah. Again, it's a lot, but I'm not sure if the point of the film is is even to really know. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it's just like men like Ben get away with these sorts of things in this cultural, you know, sure. construct of the film, um, and obviously in the real world, and um, and also we don't really know how. That's the other thing we get. They get away with it, and it like boggles the mind a little bit as to why they are getting away with it. Right. Because you see Jung Soo, like, uh, interspersed with Oz, this is all happening. He's, like, trying to get his father out of jail. He's, like, going to the court to, you know, support his father at the different different legal proceedings. He has no job. He has no stable income. And he's just, like, this guy gets to, like, this guy has, like, the time to go drive half a day to a pond, sit outside of his, stand outside of his porch and look Right. and absorb and you know and for for what reason he gets to use potentially like you know lose and vanish women he gets to commit crimes and all of the he gets to uh, commit arson <laughs> uh, serial arson at this point because uh, what he say he says like I go and I burn a greenhouse like every two months like I'm overdue for one uh, and so you're just kind of like, okay, like the resentment that's there. So all of that kind of boils over into the final scene, which spoiler alert, spoiler alert, <laughs> spoiler alert. This movie is fairly new, so we don't want to, we want to be respectful. But again, two and a half hours, if you don't want to do that, continue listening. Um, he is lured, uh, Ben is lured out to the country uh, to talk to Jung Soo. Jung Soo stabs him like, very clumsily stabs him in the gut. And then like the scene afterwards, it's just like, it's a very grisly death. Um, he puts Ben in the Porsche and then sets the Porsche and all of his clothes on fire and then drives to away. To cover up the evidence. To cover up the evidence. Yeah. 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 With his own lighter too. Right. Cause he had left it. Ben had left the lighter yeah. from the smoking the night before. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it almost feels like, yeah, this burning, this underlying rage and this underlying mm-hmm. contempt between the classes just boils over in this small story. Again, you, you have mm-hmm. this little story within a great story, you know, that again, bringing back that, idea between these different types of hungers, these different types of um, desires and wants and needs and who mm-hmm. gets to have them and who doesn't. And so the the whole film is just boiling with this through the whole thing. But again, really between the, the men, this, this film has a lot of maleness in it yeah. and, and masculine forces at these yeah. two opposing ends of like, you know, actually like, struggling and working as we're viewed um, with Jensu and then Ben, we don't really know what he does. We just know he's got a ton of money and he's doing really well. And he's one of these young people in Korea that has, you know, uh, is doing really well. Um, so you just have that boil over. And so it's like, yeah, what it, is he really responsible? Cause we don't get an answer. Yeah. He doesn't even give him enough time. He just, he's like, 
because Ben asks him to meet him and he's like, I'm with Hey Me. And then when he shows up, he's like, well, where is she? Stab. <laughs> so we don't, we just don't know what, there's not a lot of answers. So we're just kind of left with, um, I think one of the descriptions of the movie was bleak. And that is true. This is a very bleak film. Another secret word. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, yeah, it was very heavy in a lot of ways. Uh, and ends on a really strange note where you're just like, what, mm-hmm. what happened? <laughs> Yeah. And what happened to Amy? And what happened? Mm. What happened to her? But again, it's almost like that's the whole point of not answering because who cares? Mm-hmm. That at the end of the day, they don't really even, I feel they don't even care about it. That's why I struggle with like thinking about this being a love story because, you know, the last thing that um, Jun Su says to her is that, God, why do I keep saying Jung Su? Jung Su. The last thing he says to her is like calling her a name for taking her top off to, you know, have a free moment of dancing in the air. Um, yeah. Well, you know, she's high while they're all high. While they're all high. And the first thing, the only thing he ever said to her when they were children, because they're reconnecting after, you know, at the beginning of the film, she recognizes him from like grade school or whatever. And the only thing he ever said to her, she, she says is that she was ugly, that he yeah. called her ugly. So it's bookended, you know, with this, you're ugly and then you're a whore. Yeah. So it, I can still have sex with you. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I can say that this pursual of Ben is all about figuring out what happened to you, but it's really not. Yeah. You know, it's really about him in this like pissing contest with the guy or something yeah. and then just having something to do instead of looking for work or or, or writing or, you know, because, again, that's a whole other subplot is he wants to be a writer like Faulkner, um, you know, but he's just so focused on Ben and what did Ben do? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just, yeah, it's a strange um, one thing I want to mention is uh, this little excerpt from the Atlantic article. Um, uh, this excerpt from the Atlantic article, which is um, throughout the film, Jung Su scuttles between Paju, a mere checkpoint away from the demilitarized zone in Seoul, hoping to salvage his relationship with Hei Mi and monitor the ever mysterious Ben. With its striking juxtapositions between the rural and urban, embodied by Jung Su and Ben, Burning rejects the glamorization of Asian wealth and the notion of a universal Asian identity as recently depicted on screen in Crazy Rich Asians. Instead, Lee concentrates his film on the extreme class inequality in South Korea, underscoring the economic desperation that destroys families, ravages homes, and consumes dispossessed individuals. So both films actually came out in the same year. Yeah. Um, U.S. wide release of Crazy Rich Asians would come out in August. So it's interesting that we're having, like, in this moment, right, and from, you know, bringing it kind of back to the Asian American identity and what, like, Crazy Rich Asians meant for Asian people in general, but specifically, like, Asian American people. Um, it's really interesting to kind of see this as a, um, to see this film uh, put up against it, because, again, it's not, there isn't, um, it's just a, you know, it's a very strong, uh, sobering reminder that like you know there's we're not a monolith that like right. the various experiences that like as a U- as the US experiences class inequality so do you know other Asian countries especially like industrialized 
Western-ishized Asian countries like Korea do. This will come to a head in 2019, just a year later, with the release of Parasite as well. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Well, that was a good little kickoff. Yeah. Again, I was really worried watching because I'm like, I don't know what we're going to talk about, but we managed to um, fill plenty of time <laughs> discussing this movie. So I, um, I'm i excited for your other picks, Joe. I can't wait to go on this little uh, journey yeah. with you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for that validation. <laughs> Um, and thank you, dear listener, for hanging in there. We hope that you enjoyed uh, your time off of Fright School and that <laughs> you're ready to work and, uh, you know, attack the rest of the semester. There we go. Um, <laughs> and happy Asian Pacific Islander American Heritage Month. Uh, do what you can to celebrate that's not appropriative <laughs> and uh, is uh, respectful of culture. And um, remember, folks, that like there is a difference between being Asian American and Asian. Uh, there is a difference between Pacific Islander people and Asian people. That is a coalition term. It is not a community term. And um, it's two different cultures. And we're going to talk a lot about that this month. So... Uh, any last words, Joshua, before I close this out? No, I think that was good. Awesome. We'll have, see you next time. Good night. Good night. Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. listening to the Geekscape Network.